Hi, I'm Gabby Herculano. And I'm Shella Lika. And this is Climate Talk with Gabby and Shella, a weekly podcast in which we talk to an array of fascinating people from all corners of the business and financial world about their solutions for creating a decarbonized planet and a climate habitable for all. Come join us as we push toward a greener future. To Climate Talk with Gabby and Shella. Today, we have a great guest, Marcella Navarro, who you recently met, event right, Gabby? That she organized. Marcella is the founder and CEO of Project X. She's a, a, a mover and shaker. She is trying to transform 10 value chains in the next 10 years. And she invited me to go to the very first project that she kicked off. That was before COVID. Um, it was a very big building with four different floors and on each floor, there were innovators, there were startups and early stage companies with very exciting, different approaches to the food supply chain. In each floor, there were one or two buyers that were going around and asking questions to each one of these, you know, startups and new companies. You could see the energy level was so high and Marcella kept orchestrating and making sure that the level of conversations were intense and detailed enough so that the next step would be more of a discussion on the commercialization terms of the different solutions that big buyers to the likes of IKEA would, would then be bringing to their procurement process. But, but I'll say, well, that sounds amazing, Gabby. I can't wait to talk to her. And it sounds like a lot of what she's doing is very much in line with what we're doing at iClimate Earth, especially looking for sustainable solutions and most importantly, trying to quantify impact. So with that, let's go off and talk to Marcella. Elizabeth, we're here with Marcella Navajo, who is the CEO and founder of Project X. We're going to be talking about some very exciting and important things today. We met maybe three or four years ago. We were introduced by another woman that is a mover and shaker, Marisa Drew, who is Global Head of Sustainability at Credit Suisse. And Marcella, she introduced us, I think, at an event. And she said, Gabby, you got to speak to Marcella because she's doing wonderful things and um, you will love her theory of change. So fast forward a few years and here we are, the three of us today, talking about what you've been doing in much more detail. But before we get to that, why don't you talk us more about your background? You spent many years in banking. You were at ABN AMRO for, for quite a few years. Share with us a bit more of your journey, please, and, and, and how you went from being um, a COO at a large multinational bank to starting Project X. Well, wow. well I'm excited to be here, so thank you for that. And I'm sharing the passion of of taking action, of raising awareness and an inspiring change. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to operate in Latin America, then move to the US, then move to the UK. Um, realize that there are many things you don't know and others you do know of, uh, but there's one element of value that you keep bringing with you that is the willingness to do something, the willingness to learn something the willingness to let go of something, which is where we are also going at the moment, how you can let go of all these behaviors, patternings that we believe are serving us and are serving humanity. 
that actually they don't. My banking career has been, was the long one, interesting, like 25 years. And I discovered the passion of getting closer to what I call the cash flow conversion cycle, getting closer to what the inherent risks are in business. At the beginning, it was just about making sure that we get paid back as a bank. And uh, then you discover that the closer you get into the trade position, the closer you get into the real heart of the business, you are encountering other type of risks, the risk of relevance, the risk of sustainability, the risk of value that you create in the business, includes reputation, includes environment, includes costs. And this was a beautiful journey on value chain transformation. This was a beautiful journey of from what I call the really, really understand your customer base and to make sure you could value despite the volatilities, despite the craziness of the economic, political transformation or changes you go through. So that part of my career was very much into creating new things, removing obstacles. Um, my banking life was very much into solving problems addressing issues. It, it was a serendipity or a synchronicity really. When after all this long time in banking, I decided to, to move into the impact world. A impact world meaning in the deep sense of it, landing impact and going back into stopping the patternings that do not longer serve us and bring some true value into execution, into creating the, the change that is required understanding the difficulties of change. Now, understanding that uh, the difficulty lies most of the times in stop doing what we're doing today, not only the liberty, not on creating new things. So the impact world for me has been fascinating and also carried over the value of doing something, not only on the collective element of it, but on the individual element of it. Nothing happens without people, companies, and humans caring about it. And, and seeing it's relevant for them, whether it is selfishness or self-interest or self-love, it needs to be relevant to the action takers to take action. So we fully agree. And it resonates with us for Gabby and myself. We have similar backgrounds in private sector, institutional investment. And I think it's great that we can leverage the skills like you were saying um, in our new venture, which is also about that impact, but in a way that isn't compromising and is analytical. And it sounds like it was a bit of a journey for you. And it's so interesting to hear what ultimately brought you to Project X and, and that partnership with WWF that I know incubated it. So how did that come about? It was serendipity, really. The, the transition from the banking world to the impact world to founding Project X was, was serendipity, in my opinion. I was needing a big project within the bank to how we could leverage the value of innovation the value of new ideas from the companies we were trying to support as a bank. So it started as a building access for underrepresented suppliers. It started as demonstrating that we were walking the talk and we were true, truly committed to environment change. And that, that transition after doing the programs like the RBS Innovation Gateway and doing the environmental programs for companies like Cummins. Then we were looking into how can we take a program that supports adoption of alternatives, meaning viable solutions into the global value chains, not at a company level only, but at an industry level. 
What other elements of risk do we need to look at? What other elements of complexity do we need to look at when we want to transform the, just the behavior of one company at a time? So this was 2015, we started looking into how we can take an adoption model for alternatives, integrating different risks, such as procurement, funding, innovation, and science, and how we could start doing this uh, to address the key challenges of our time one industry at a time. That was at the end with WWF, with a project X back in 2015, and we're still there working on this. So, so that is your area of change. If we change the supply chain of these 10 specific industries in the next 10 years, right, we're going to be much more sustainable. Can you give us a case? I know I was there in the launch of the very first one, right, which is the food supply chain. Can you share with us um, that case study? How did it start it? Uh, and once you close a project, right? That's not the end of it. You continue to work across different initiatives in the same thing. Can you share more with us? Yeah. So from a theory of change, that is your first, your first question. Uh, we believe that there is no without scale. There is no scale without procurement. There are many other ways to achieve it, but without the, let's say, fundamental or even boring element of procurement, we will not achieve scale. And without scale, we will not achieve anything. That probably would be the, the, the first point. The other element of that is by achieving scale at at least 10% of the total volume purchased, there is a reaction of credibility, confidence, and a system, a structure that enables the rest of the transformation to happen. So the second point I will call it demonstration. Demonstration comes into what we call the 10%. So if there is enough volume within the larger transformation spectrum, we will be able to create these confidence levels. We will be able to create these structures for others to want to play after the demonstration space to place. And the probably third element of this theory of change is integration. No one company can do a change or address a change of this magnitude of their own. So we believe on the value of integration whilst respecting the self-interest of the individual players in this integration. What do we mean by integration? We believe that adoption that is at the center of procurement requires the integration of at least four risk areas. That is procurement, what we just mentioned, it, it, it needs to be an exchange of value that already exists. It's a simple transaction, really. It's a, we are not changing anything that is already not happening. Uh, we also have the risk of funding, where again, funding is different for the different stages of growth of the buyers and the innovators, right? So it is different to fund the demonstration than to fund the scale or to fund the exponential growth. The third risk that we will look into integrating is the risk of innovation itself. There are innovations which focus on market rating, meaning there are things that exist in the market that have the opportunity to be implemented faster, which brings change faster. Again, goes back to the demonstration point. And the fourth risk we look at integrating is the risk of science, meaning it's valuable for the planet, it's valuable for the innovation itself, and connects for us in the terms of ethics and other elements. So those would be the four elements we would look at uh, when we talk about theory of change, adoption, 10%, demonstration, and integration. 
And one thing that uh, really resonates with me, I think it's uh, fascinating and wonderful, is how you have tangible metrics um, and and targets that you're reaching out for. And so you talk about the 10 industries and and trying to make a change because they're the 10 industries um, and value chains that are most damaging to biodiversity and and the planet. So we know one of them was on food. Can you tell us a little bit, just so people understand, what are the kind of industries that you're talking about? Our starting point is, is help reach the adoption point. And help reach the adoption point is that at least 10% of uh, the total expenditure in global value chains, in these global value chains, is uh, represented by sustainable alternatives. So that would be a huge change to make. So we're saying how we can focus and how we can use the value of the way we use data or the way we use credible, tangible data to go and choose which of these 10 that we're going to focus on. So these 10 uh, industries that we have chosen are industries that create climate damage and represent uh, around 32% of the global economic output and concentrate 42% of the global trade. So that's why we decided, and there are many other ways to cut the 10. You might look at other organizations that decide to cut different things in a different way for us, centered in procurement with the power of the global economic output. So if we look at the opportunity to have one second, one heartbeat and one dollar invested, we know that the intervention of this one, one, one creates a ripple effect. That's how we chose the focus of the 10. So every dollar that is procured from sustainable alternatives or invested in sustainable alternatives can be tracked. In, in Marcelo, you pulled together um, the private and the public, right? I, I remember at that event, it was, it was so remarkable to see there were a lot of people from the World Bank, from the IFC, from the WWF, and there were so many entrepreneurs with very interesting ideas on specific parts of that food supply chain. But that, that is a lot of people to, to connect and integrate, right? So are you going to always have this element of, of convergence, of collaboration for all the 10 projects across, you know, all these different industries for the next 10 years? It requires a lot of energy. Yeah, it does. I, I think we, what, one of the key things would be even going back to the theory of change and focusing on the 10 in 10. So the key challenges of our time cannot be addressed one company at a time, right? And we believe that there are uh, alternatives that are available to be used and incorporated that we could start using now. So the value of bringing different stakeholders together under the same purpose whilst respecting their self-interest is fundamental for change at scale and at speed. So the integration of the four risks that we mentioned, right? We, we start on procurement. You have, you need buyers that are, are interested on buying alternatives that address the key problems. And uh, in addition to that, they are respectful to planet, to people, to our climate, to our biodiversity. On the other group, you need somebody that provides these alternatives, that understand that the production of these alternatives uh, requires the same respect to the planet are done in a, in a way that is ethical as well. And are done in a way that uh, creates a shared value for the different stakeholders and themselves. At the same time, you need the enabler functions of funding insurance that will not only help address the risk of the exchange of the commercial value, 
but it will help accelerate the potential scale of these alternatives, uh, avoiding the buyer to assume all the risk or the innovator to assume all the risk. So there we talk about shared risk value. Then you talk about science, how we build the opportunity to create confidence levels that enable all the pieces of the system to move together, doing the things that they are good at with the right confidence that they can move, that they can be part of something bigger than themselves or what they can get the value they need. So integration of key stakeholders, in addition to what normally is, is integrated, normally we call it the value chain in one way. Again, there are different ways to talk about value chains or systems, but I believe that the, the extended integration of value chain players is crucial for transformation. It's not just the buy and sell, the uh, storing or the aggregator if we talk about the food chain. So in our FedEx project that we were looking at, and this is one of your questions, Gabby, as well is how uh, looking into transforming 10% of the feed production to sustainable sources requires not only the buyers that are committed to buy alternatives that are sustainable, that are concerned about value chain resilience and risk, that are preparing their future, proving themselves and preparing themselves for a, a future that is, for me, way more risky than we that we think it is, and this awareness is important, where you have phenomenal innovators and alternatives that could help replace a, or complement sources of protein and oil that protect our planet, protect our land, protect our oceans. And you have the phenomenal funders, whether it is development bank organizations, not-for-profit organizations, and commercial organizations that care about impact and transformation. So there's a plethora of groups that are all together, each one looking at their own self-interest, which I believe it is important. And I'm not going to say, oh, collaboration is great. Yes, collaboration, respecting the value of the exchange. But of course, looking at collaborative, collective value. But yeah, that's, it's exciting. There is, uh, and each industry will, will be the same. Will we the buyers that want to buy? Will we the alternatives? Will we the supporters, but throughout all that, the value of data is hugely important to build not only the right confidence levels, but to be able to track the progress. Yeah. And that is something that we've certainly seen as well, that data and the importance of bringing that into the analysis and how a lot of it is not readily available. So can you talk a little bit more about that aspect of it, the challenges and how you address them when it comes to getting the data to track that progress? Yeah, definitely. Look, I'm a big fan of data. I think I have come from my banking life and the impact life in terms of understanding, first of all, what data are we talking about and why we need data and what can we do with this data, right? I, I believe for me, data is, is the key building block for confidence levels. And confidence levels require not only the right type of data, but the right type of aggregation of these data and the right type of translation from data to insights. When we're talking at systems, uh, when you talk about more than one player in these systems, we get exposed to the complexity of having different interpretations of what the value of data is, choosing different sets of data to monitor, and regulate his data in a different way, or simply use data for different reasons and purposes. 
So the value of data at an aggregated level in a world that is aggregated and integrated is a huge opportunity we still have to deploy. When we talk about LCAs or we talk about uh, environmental indicators, people are trying to do follow CO2 value, a natural capital value. Uh, but everybody, even though there is some standard around, they do use different elements of this standard in a different way under the, let's say, framework. So the ability to consolidate, track, demonstrate independently uh, data is crucially important from our perspective and very much into what we want to do to reach the adoption point, to reach the point where alternatives are 10% of today's procurement spend, without confidence levels, we will not be able to create this adoption shift. And this comes from the buyers, the investors, the innovators, the science, the insurance players around data is crucially important for confidence levels and value. Because it's such an ambitious project and yet so necessary what you're doing and it could make such a significant um, impact, you know, this next decade. I noticed that on your website, you talk about this approach being tried and tested. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what you mean? Yeah. So tried and tested means that uh, the model of adoption uh, has been uh, deployed successfully in different sets of organizations so they can increase the number of sustainable alternatives in the value chain and uh, get results that are tangible in terms of savings, in terms of carbon reduction, in terms of water reduction. Um, and this would be on the number elements of this, but also on the way, and Gabby, you were mentioning that before, to orchestrate, to integrate multi-stakeholder multi commitments and multi-stakeholder orchestration where priority space, uh, people um, and projects might be dissimilar and, and felt in a different way. So uh, when we did this project before, we did this on, on built environment. Uh, we looked into what is the type of alternative that is required to address um, the key environmental targets for built environment. We did this uh, with financial institutions. We did this with uh, power engines uh, companies. And we're doing that now on the feed side and looking into very tangibly move from a very basic activity that is procurement and it's still basic uh, into uh, making sure that these transform the way we procure, we consume uh, alternatives uh, in the next 10 industry value chain. So it's, it's ambitious and is anchored in very tangible activities. We have done um, programs before that enables us to feel comfortable that we understand some of the key intervention points, some of the key tensions, both on the technical and the human level, um, and the, allows us to keep having a radar open to keep learning. The way we talk about transformation, people are at the center of transformation. And uh, then you have not only the technical element of the transformation that is required, but the emotional ele element of the transformation. And I believe that this is one of the key risks we are exposed to. Fear, uncertainty, uh, and these elements of very human uh, realities 
produce a lot of inertia. And we cannot afford inertia when we are time bound to take action for our planet, to take action for what comes after us. So I'm very much mindful that one of the main risks is not just necessarily technical. It goes beyond that. But you keep the eye on the ball and in, in your target is 2030. And, and, and that resonates with us because we too think that 2030 is, is a very important milestone, but we are hopeful. We see a lot of innovation. We see there's a lot of work ahead, but we are in the right direction. Electric vehicles are a, a robust solution. Adoption is taking place. Sustainable uh, consumption, plant-based diet is growing extremely fast. The decentralization of our greed, we put all these things together and we see 2030 could be fundamentally a different world. So can you share with us some of your predictions? What do you think we will achieve by then? And some big numbers, uh, we have ours, uh, we, we, we share. Um, in our apps, website with infographics, you know, uh, percentage of electric vehicles adoption and things like that. Can you share with us a little bit of your targets and a bit of the hope and aspiration of where the planet is going to be in the next uh, 10 years? Well, I love this question because my natural way of answering that is that we, we can, we should, and we will achieve our targets and achieve our 2030 targets. For us in Project X, we're looking into shifting $1.3 trillion from a sustainable procurement to sustainable procurement. This would be around $450 million every day. Uh, when you realize that if that's a number you, you look at daily, I mean, we don't do enough daily, you still question yourself, is this going to be possible, right? And it's um, that this part of the prediction where you can, when you look into, there is adoption. And I look at this word, I love this word personally, because it means, it means that it's embedded in your system, right? It is, it is embedded, understood and protected in the system in the way you do things. I believe the, the scale and the pace for which change is being adopted is too slow. And uh, unless we do find a different way to increase adoption levels, I will not see us by 2030, unless another vulnerability that is exposed by another shock happens, uh, that, we will, that we will be able to move as fast. If we look into the electric car sector, just going to your example, we see companies like Neon now and growing in China, but then you look into the end-to-end value chain of electric cars, the cost of electricity, what is behind that? What is the value chain of electricity? What is the value chain of electric cars? What is the value chain of feeding our case? So what is going to happen if we don't quickly shift to alternatives uh, that uh, replace products that could be or about to be not sustainable if we continue to use these products like so protein concentrate from Brazil or other countries. Uh, and we start deforesting our Amazon here. We start, we, we continue to deforest in the Amazon. If we don't start creating these shifts, build the right confidence levels and start incorporating more change, I believe it's going to be difficult. What is happening in aviation? We are seeing some organizations starting to look at some options for a greener options for fuel. But again, you're looking into less than 1% still 
of the fleet of ADHL or any other is not to name some companies directly. And there is space, there is space to do something about it. So adoption for me needs to happen much faster. Um, volume needs to happen at a larger level. Um, I believe COVID has been exceptionally important in our appreciation of risk and strokes. And I believe that, which is a green light, that there are new ways and new models of collaboration that are making a difference. And we are, and I, I'm still hopeful that we will be able to move from greenwashing that it's still around, sadly. We are seeing the greenwashing between greenwashing and greenwishing, right? But RA, that's why I'm fundamentally a fan of data and demonstration, is moving from the dial from green wishing to green doing. And that's what we should be focusing on. But I, I don't believe we have as much time as we think. At least 2030 looks far away. I think 2030 today for us is 450 million change every day. So we just need to start acting faster. We love that, Lorraine, from greenwashing to green wishing. And we're going to, I think I'm going to borrow that if you don't mind, but we couldn't agree more about the importance of of data and analytics and having a, a thoughtful research-based approach, because that's exactly what we're trying to do. And in many ways, I guess we're more on the granular end of of your ambitions. Our, our ambitions are along the same lines, but we're focusing in on those sustainable solutions and trying to ring fence those and find those alternatives that provide a way to, you know, create products and services, but with much less emissions than what the alternative would have been. So those sustainable solutions is what we're trying to find too, and then quantifying that through the potential avoided emissions metric that we use. And so much of what you were talking about in terms of adoption, because a lot of these technologies, some of them are well-known, some are very new, and having people aware of them and increasing that adoption, because as you rightly said, you can't force people to do it. It has to make sense for them. And that's something that we think about a lot too. Um, and we also see a lot of these sort of sustainable solutions really picking up pace in the years ahead, you know, hopefully as there's more awareness about what they are doing and and, and what they provide. And I, and I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit um, now about how do you raise that awareness? How do you help foster that adoption at the grassroots level for these kind of sustainable technologies? You know, businesses, hopefully there'll be regulations and, you know, they'll be on board for multiple reasons. So there's the, the adoption from their standpoint, but even sort of from the consumer standpoint? I love this question because uh, from my perspective, adoption can be unlocked through demonstration. So I'm a firm believer of demonstration. When we're looking at transforming systems, uh, we're looking, we have been looking very much, or we have been orientated into an aspirational value. Right. Oh, we need to do something. We need to do something. The program is with the needs. These need to do something. And, and in the, the planetary challenge, it's so big that this grandiosity creates a little bit of a stagnation. You know, you don't move. So demonstration is crucial for transformation and demonstration is crucial for adoption. Um, I always use an example that in the world of circles, if you have a square immediately the square will be probably rejected, right? Because it, it's not the same shape, so it shouldn't be there. But also if we start looking at how the square and the circle work together, no, we can actually say, well, it can create value outside, inside, what, what can we do with this? 
So my point on this is for adoption, demonstration is crucial. And this is what we believe in Project X. Demonstration helps build the right confidence levels. Demonstration helps inform whether it is the procurement value, the funding value, the innovation value, and the science value. So I am a big believer on demonstration as a building block for adoption and uh, as a way to create the right level of inspiration, the right level of understanding to bring others into the adoption journey, right? Uh, and I, I believe that this is still needed. And the funding and the, the research and the data that is required for demonstration is critical and not necessarily the time to set the same type of data we're using for maintenance or for business as usual. And I think that's very important because we need to build the confidence levels and then bring these confidence levels quickly into execution, not just to put them on the shelf. Marcela, you, you are a force of nature. We need to catch up in person soon. Um, and I, I look very forward to following your work. And there's no doubt that you're on the right path and what you're doing is in incredibly relevant. Um, and we know you're going to be very successful and, and we hope you will because um, we no doubt uh, need more sustainable supply chains. Thank you so much for making the time. We will share with, with the audience the links to all the great work that you do and your TED Talk. I love that TED Talk. <laughs> We're going to make those links available. And thank you again so much for talking to us today. And um, I hope to see you very soon. No, what you guys doing is amazing. Big, big congratulations. Challenging, challenging the status quo and doing something about it is, is crucially important. So yeah, looking forward to seeing more and more of what you're doing and like, big congratulations and looking forward to do more together. Thank you, Thank you Marcella. So do we. Thanks for listening. Climate Talk is produced by Spark Network. You can listen to Climate Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your shows. To find out more about us, visit us at iClima.Earth. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. See you next week.